Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Tel Priori, Greg Tucker, a commercialization manager at the University of Louisville. Prior to his time at the University of Louisville, Greg was a fellow slash technical specialist at Skysong Innovations, along with working with Vic Technology Venture Development. Prior to that, Greg was an entrepreneur on a few startups ranging from a chemical company with licensed IP for photovoltaic purposes to co-founding an electric bike company, which was recognized as a small business of the year within district number 27 of Central Phoenix. In addition to that, Greg's a co-inventor on five U.S. patents from Arizona State University for applications in battery systems and fuel cell technology for potentially powering electric vehicles and stationary devices. In case you're interested, those U.S. patents are U.S. patent numbers 11094963, 10490-847-9768462, and 9647288. In the past, Greg has been recognized as a rising star by Chemical and Engineering News, a 40 under 40 honoree by Phoenix Magazine, a medalist for the ASU Laboratory Safety Innovation Award, and an outreach member of the year for the American Chemical Society. Dr. T, as he's affectionately nicknamed, was a co-advisor for the ASU Chief Science Officers Program where he's provided interactive science demos in his local community for K-12 through students and presentations for the public in general. Greg obtained a doctorate in chemistry from the School of Molecular Sciences at Arizona State University and earned a Bachelor's of Science from Tennessee State University. And with that extremely impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Greg. Hey, Lisa. Great to be here and looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much again, Greg, for taking part in the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. And Greg, I generally like to start each of my podcasts off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Louisville? Yeah, definitely. It's a bit of a long journey, but I notice a lot of people in this field kind of fall into it. So for me, I would say besides in high school, I used to play football with Fenna City League. And that's when I actually found out Nikola Tesla had one of his um, experimental stations. If it wasn't at the park near there, they actually recently commemorated a plaque about it. So I've always had an interest in electricity. In undergrad, I ended up um, focusing on more kind of chemical biology related stuff. So I've actually done internships from University of Iowa to University of Helsinki, uh, focused on uh, the neurofibular fibers and um, plaque buildup for Alzheimer's disease. So, so I ended up working with a lot of lab rats and, and, and mice, and <laughs> um, I was not excited about that. So when I went to grad school, I completely did a, a 180 um, going from chemical biology back to physical sciences, um, PCHEM, which is you know traditionally kind of the harder course, back to electricity and energy generating devices. Um, from there, I did a lot of fundamental research under uh, Austin Angel, God rest his soul now. I actually learned a lot about not only fundamental research, uh, applications for it, comparing it to to different commercially available technologies and the state of the art. And why was that important? Because he was a big, firm believer of patenting on what we were doing. Um, So that was kind of my first introduction to kind of IPs. Besides everyone kind of seeing that late night commercial, if you have an idea, if you want to patent it. <laughs> but for me to see it at the academic level um, was really great. From there, um, I realized besides working on the campus in the daytime, I actually I'm a big avid cyclist myself. So I would ride to the ASU campus and, and I live downtown. So I would actually have a hobby working with my neighbor in my garage 
um, buying old electric bike parts. So I've been part of multiple startups, um, ranging from which one I just kind of mentioned now, um, an electric bike company, uh, which was kind of mentioned in the bio, but also stuff on campus giving pitches for photovoltaic companies. One was called Solar Ionics. And and why is that important? Because I realized I was not only becoming a scientist, but an entrepreneur. And normally you kind of realize like either you're going in to be either faculty or in the industry. Uh, I wasn't too excited about both or either. And I was actually more excited about um, being an entrepreneur. So I actually ended up continuing um, as a grad student with the electric bike company. It's called um, Southwest Battery Bike Company. And and um, like I, I made a huge impact in the community where I realized I just wasn't selling electric bikes, but also helping people as a second mode of transportation, because this is when Tesla was getting real popular. But not everybody can afford a Tesla, but they can definitely afford a two-wheel electric vehicle version. Um, full circle from there, I I had to pivot because um, uh, like an entrepreneur, there are ups and downs. So definitely was recognized through the community. But then also there's different aspects of when it comes to the industry where uh, I ended up having to liquidate the bike because there at one point there was a one of my manufacturers, even though the bikes themselves had a great battery chemistry, um, lithium iron phosphate, which is one of the safer ones, um, they were having issues with their cell phones kind of having fiery situations. I won't name them at the moment. And what was kind of interesting when I came back to the lab as being a postdoc, because that's when my first patent issued, uh, we ended up talking to that same company to make a, a solid state, non-flammable electrolyte, which um, I'm currently a, a patent holder on with our lab there. And working with the, the tech transfer office from there, uh, it really, got me very interested in this field because it brings my entrepreneurial skill sets, my technical skill sets, and also the legalese. Um, I don't want to be a patent attorney, hey, um, hey, but hey. definitely <laughs> but definitely interested in being a, a patent agent still. And uh, with that said, I end up finding an internship at, um, at Skysong Innovations, a bridge program for postdocs to be a fellow. I was functioning as a technical specialist at Skysong Innovations on the Scottsdale campus of Arizona State University. And um, from there, I, I learned a lot about the ins and outs of, of IP, had a great mentor there. And uh, it, right before the pandemic hit, I, I get I end up getting some more hours. And during the pandemic, um, really excelled in it, um, meeting people like yourself and other notable people in this field. And a uh, opportunity, prime opportunity came up in Kentucky, and I've been out here for 10 months now working as a commercialization manager, cradle to grave with um, our faculty, uh, working with our team to evaluate it for um, its novelty and see if we want to file a patent from there. And then uh, what, I, what I really like about it, the, commercial, the commercialization aspect and really focusing on uh, using that patent as a tool um, with our faculty or third parties to make a um, global service or product. Wow, that's an incredible journey, Greg. And congratulations on the new role because it, it sounds like you're really loving it. And so, Greg, I know from doing my research for the podcast that the university has chosen to concentrate its research and scholarship behind three grand challenges. And from what I understand, the idea behind that is, is that knowing the solutions to these challenges will make a difference and help create a thriving future, not only for Louisville, but Kentucky, as well as the world. So I was wondering, can you tell us a little bit more about these three grand challenges? Yeah, definitely. The grand challenges are part of University of Louisville's uh, new strategic plan. And um, with that, it's tackling big challenges, um, global challenges, and it's addressing it with empowering our communities with U of L, uh, promoting equity, eliminating or significantly um, reducing disparities and strengthening the ability of um, individuals within the campus, faculty or students, and even off campus, again, in our local communities to achieve um, more of a, a sound well-being and, and even prosperity. When I think of this, I think of what's kind of trending now, social innovations. And a perfect example is um, one of our professors created some IP that was licensed by a company with his with that research, 
they're using it to create more um, cohesive, more inclusive, more equitable social interactions at the workplace. And, and that can be very important with so many different cultural backgrounds and make sure that that everyone's being treated fairly. But then also, uh, importantly, at work, we're getting work done efficiently. Um, the other one is uh, advancing our health. So like you mentioned, I'm new to U, U of L and new to Louisville. It's a big healthcare hub. So um, U of L is working on advancing human health and leading transformative shifts to how we understand and promote and again recovering our well-being and moving forward throughout all stages of life, uh, even later stages in life. So that's really important, especially when you think about us in a pandemic right now and even access to health and um, access to different PPE, so personal protective equipments. And, and this actually brings to mind one of our professors is actually uh, a director of one of our centers. He he recently, with some of his um, research that um, he ended up filing on and sub-licensing it, they were able to use these carbon fibers within these N95 masks. And um, not only were they just as effective for killing viruses, but importantly, they were reusable. So um, the local metro actually recognized them for that in the Louisville Business First Journal. And, uh, and some other places as well. And there's actually another professor as well looking towards uh, a way to further diagnose or, or even determine uh, how this pandemic is spreading throughout our, our waterways, oh, wow. our drinking water and our wastewater. And it, it's actually been kind of determined where um, you can obviously when people use the restroom um, that whatever they discard uh, we'll have, you know, some remnants of, of maybe some viral traces. So you can actually determine what areas uh, are increasing or decreasing with what's happening during this pandemic with some of the virus. Oh, wow. And then and then. Yeah, I know that was very interesting to me, too. And and, and very innovative how people are coming up with methods to kind of determine what's happening and and make these processes faster so we can stay atop of this pandemic and, and hopefully it will be a post pandemic real soon. And, and lastly, um, engineering our future economy. So uh, L is engineering a, a future economy made possible with cutting edge technology. And, and a lot of that goes back to Louisville's just kind of history of being a manufacturing hub right off the river. What L is doing now more so is one of the centers I was talking about is the Con Renewable Energy Center. So um, really not only having our, our different schools and departments, but uh, having a laser focus with some of those researches, some of those programs, and those professors as theme leaders for, for photovoltaics, batteries, fuel cell technology, um, aerial drones, um, stuff along those lines where that innovation can further culminate and and be more of applied science, which which is really right up my alley, which I love, and where I've been helping with a lot of faculty and, and even students on my docket there. And another uh, good example is Larry, the Louisville Autonomous Research Robotics Institute. And it recently had a grand opening. And I just recently kind of mentioned um, aerial vehicles, but also just drones as well. And not only determining the different components inside of these unmanned vehicles, but also their energy sources, but then their capabilities. And that's the, some of the innovation there where one of them was um, there are different flight patterns and, and the way they can synchronize with each other. So really important. And I think lastly, too, since I mentioned manufacturing, we've all heard of 3D printing and additive manufacturing is really taken off. We have AMIS, so our Additive Manufacturing Institute of Science and Technology. From my understanding, it's one of the largest in the country. It was very impressive when I went there for a tour. And um, already across my desk, there's a lot of research uh, coming uh, out of there across my desk, um, working with our commercialization managers and uh, looking forward to not only what we can patent out of there, but we can importantly get licensed and help the community and the world as well. Greg, given those three grand challenges, which are very idealistic and, and very broad, 
uh, in nature. How does your Office of Research and Innovation there at the university help support researchers to achieve these three grand challenges? Yes. So with me, again, being relatively new, our Office of Research and Innovation, they actually restructure. Um, even my office has completely rebranded where the Office of Innovation and Commercialization now with a focus on commercialization. And they even started a whole new new ventures program. So if the main office helps with just getting research in the door, our office helps with filing patents in that management. Well, the new ventures program where we work closely with is not only helping it become an early venture, again, you know, licensing it with uh, a, a different company or even helping the faculty themselves have a startup. And uh, a program that really comes to mind, it was my first year being part of it, was called the Launch It Program. And what I really liked about it, because, again, I've been an entrepreneur myself, is that I took a course like this similar at a public library. The city was offering this and it was only a eight week program. So UofL actually has a 10 week program. And from my understanding, it's been revamped and repackaged like everything I've been kind of mentioning and what it does with scientists on my docket, since I'm more hard sciences, that it actually gives scientists an opportunity to come to these classes, learn from people within the community, the local community right there who are entrepreneurs themselves, and see the different um, opportunities that are available. Like a lot of times if someone's working with something healthcare related, maybe they need someone who can help with marketing, um, um, business development, really important. But I think what really stands out the most is a lot of times as scientists, we can come off as know-it-alls <laughs> and it's an opportunity to where the scientists can, we do cold calls or set up meetings and and talk to people and ask them to present the problem. Here's the solution and get their input through customer discovery. And I think that's probably one of the biggest eye openers to scientists. And something else that really stood out to me about this program is where, you know, a lot of times what we do in these labs and, and, and you of all people know, but we do can be very confidential. But this class actually had guest speakers who we actually have different uh, third party buildings that help with prototyping and third parties that help with that and help the scientists kind of um, find people who can work with their ideas, maybe help with modifications, anything along those lines and kind of make them more comfortable um, not only being a scientist, but in this new entrepreneurial space that they're venturing into, of course. And then from there, they launch it for a demo day um, amongst their peers and anyone who's else welcome to come to the event. So, Greg, I think that's a really good segue. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your office. Can you tell us how many people you have and how your office is structured? So we have eight right now, but in the hunt for two more and our more upper management leadership positions and looking forward to what leadership they'll be injecting into our office. But right now it's, it's around five commercialization managers, myself in physical sciences, uh, another one of my colleagues in engineering and bioengineering, um, another one in life sciences. And he probably has the largest docket of them all since we do have a medical school. Uh, additionally, we have a contracts manager, but also she'll be focusing on social innovations as well. Um, which is that new call we were kind of talking about. And our financial uh, commercialization manager that helps us all to make sure, you know, when we follow up with our inventors um, with their due diligence and making sure fees are getting paid and stuff along those lines. Uh, we also have our compliance manager. So uh, a lot of traffic control um, help there. Our executive assistant as well. And just handling the day-to-day -day activities for administrative associate type work. And then I would say after that, besides the two positions that I mentioned that we're looking for, we also have another position with a really good friend of mine and, and our fellow Autumn member, Megan, where she is actually in a joint effort with U L and UK with KCV and with the the, the Commonwealth um, government as well. It's called KCV, the Kentucky Commercialization Ventures. And that's helping with us 
two schools being hubs for them to where they help look for innovation throughout some of the smaller schools and community colleges throughout the, the state of Kentucky. And lastly, what I just wanted to add was that besides who I work directly in our office, um, we work under the Office of Research and Innovation. So working closely with our EVP, um, our two AVPs, and additionally their staff. And then also there's some peripheral staff that we work with, with grant funding and also just communications as well and getting these stories out there into from the campus into the community. So, Greg, I know you're relatively new there in your office, but I wanted to ask, would you be able to share with us some statistics of your office, uh, either from the last year or last few years in terms of new licenses, startup companies formed, invention disclosures, things like that? Yes, definitely very important. And UofL alone, just for um, science dollars that come in was, at least last year, over $200 million. Um, so that's something that, that we're very proud of. And when it comes to licensing income from innovation that we had around $28 million, And that was, again, from the previous year. So very important with that. And around 500 different agreements. Um, of those, it should be around 100 that are just research disclosure forms or other people call them invention disclosure forms. And um, obviously that has been affected due to the pandemic, but it's still been relatively strong, which has been great. And then 80 issued patents. Um, we had a, a, a decent amount of new licenses and, and startups. And I think when I came into the office, what was one of the most notable startups, which was on now, which is part of my docket is um, Talaris and they're a startup company that is focusing on immunosuppression of different organs and, for example, um, kidneys. And this is very important in the organ transplant in the community for patients and the sector itself. So the biggest IPO of well over $150 million in the university's history. So um, very notable company, and they're just getting bigger and better from there. Uh, one that stands out to me, and again, they were recognized a couple times. Um, once last year for the Distillers Grains uh, reverse pitch competition for the local distilleries. It was during a um, the first inaugural pitch competition where local inventors and, and different entrepreneurs, and even some out of state, actually pitched about how they can take the stillage, which is um, after distilling bourbon, it's uh, a watery organic biomass, and it's a byproduct that's left over from this industry. And there's actually one of the most notable ways is um, um, making animal feed from it. But one of our professors and with their partners, uh, uh, Chemical Engineering, one of the largest uh, engineering firms here, from my understanding, in the state of Kentucky, that they're not only making animal feed, but they also can make bio coal. Oh, so wow. it almost burns just as um, energy efficient as actual coal, but yet it reduces a tremendous amount of water usage or anything fossil fuel related. So it would definitely be considered more of a, a renewable energy source. So that coal could be uh, as a circular economy or supply chain back to the distillery for their boilers to, to continue to um, distill bourbon. And uh, another notable product that, that they can actually make as well is, is extracting xylose. So oh, wow. in their patent family, yeah, yeah, really interesting. It's a substitute sugar from my understanding, and, and that helps with dietary concerns. So that actually helps with, you know, fits with um, Louisville's um, healthcare hub, um, regional hub kind of notoriety as well. So that was really stood out a lot. But then also, I think what really stood out, because before this pitch competition, there was actually a virtual announcement from the governor of how Ford Motor Company is actually building another um, plant here. They're one of the top five employers here, um, along with like UPS, Humana, from my understanding, UofL. And, and that's really important because one of the other products he said they can pull out is high highly pure activated carbon and 
that's actually a component when you make lithium ion batteries, um, one of the electrodes inside. So who knows? That can be an opportunity to at least have conversations for further R&D and, and be, again, a direct supplier right here in the Commonwealth. So um, off the top of my head, those two companies on my docket really stand out. So all the way from the healthcare industry to to the bourbon industry, where you know you still get the same great taste, but you know minimizing the waste. <laughs> the great commercial there, great great commercial. So I think that's a really good segue. I mean, it, it sounds like your office does quite a bit uh, to support the startups that are coming out of the university. Definitely. Do you have a lot of programs and things that you have for them, or an incubator or accelerator or anything like that yet, or is that in progress? Yeah. Yes, we do. So. One I kind of mentioned is the newly launched program is New Ventures. So we were, our office was rebranded to Innovation Commercialization to help funnel those technologies to New Ventures, which has the launch program. But then some of those peripheral groups that I mentioned, um, we have actual um, funding um, besides professors um, who actually want to have additional funding looking for like SBIR and SDTR grants, we had the Kinetic grant where that's um, a grant where not only are R1 institutions like U of L, UK, but also smaller institutions throughout the, the state can apply for it as well. So it makes, uh, it spurs entrepreneurship, startups and innovation um, within the state with getting these additional fundings. And that's led by uh, another group and um, but we work closely with them as well in our meetings. And and also more recently, I learned about the prepare program where that's innovation that can help with COVID related technologies to help make our community safer in some kind of past, some kind of capacity. And that goes back again, being either more kind of um, uh, applied science um, within our community where, you know, the SBIR and STTR grants can you know, be more feasibility in a, in a phase one versus waiting for phase two for more of that commercialization aspect. But, you know, we we look at all those sources of funding to help um, not only help our faculty and, and inventors apply for them, but also provide the, the support for them as well. And um, I actually, it makes me think of another one right now too called KSTC, and they're the Kentucky Science Technology Corporation, where um, they've been around, from my understanding, since the 80s, um, really unique, where they actually, uh, whatever application program that, that they go through, I'm, I'm learning more about them. But w- the bioproducts, what I just kind of mentioned in their patent family, they've been supported by this um, local group here um, in the past. And then even the state as well, you have KYNO, um, KY Innovate, and Kentucky is one of those unique states where if you get some of these federal fundings, they'll even actually match. I'm not quite sure to how much, but they can actually give you some um, some additional funding as well. So all sorts of um, faucets are running around here. It's just up to you. You know, if you can get your cup under there. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so switching gears a little bit, Greg, I wanted to ask you about external partners, whether they're corporate partners and or government partners and the role they play there in tech transfer at Louisville. Could you share with us maybe some of the relationships you have with external partners? Really good question. And I I touched on a couple of the top employers here, uh, UPS, Ford, GE, the healthcare industry, those are definitely Fortune 500 companies in the top 10 employers here, I'm pretty sure. And um, But what I like also on the ground level is venture connectors. So that was actually, I moved out here during this pandemic and it is a, that was my first in-person event, obviously practicing social and physical distancing, of course. Of course. But it's, it's an opportunity to where the local entrepreneurs get a, a chance to talk about what they talk about what they're doing in the community. Um, some of them just give a, a call to action like, hey, we're doing this or 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 an ask. And, and then they'll have a highlight speaker, someone usually from if they're not in Louisville, from throughout the state, um, Frankfurt and Lexington are nearby. Um, um, really 
a great way to network professionally. They have a great lunch usually, and they normally do these events um, typically like at a entrepreneurial startup. So a local brewery right there in the city. The last one was actually at the Muhammad Ali Center. Oh, cool. Um, which is a great yeah museum of his life if you ever want to visit it. And then also I have to say, I think they're supported by Amplify Louisville, which is a collective of not only the co-working spaces around here or at least associated with them, but then also help fund and um, um, organize like venture connectors as well. And from my understanding, our EIRs, um, Entrepreneurial Residence, he either he used to be one of them or very c- connected with them. And that was something that that UofL helped um, cultivate as well, which is great to so again, show what going from the campus to the community to help support that local entrepreneurial ecosystem. And then again, I kind of mentioned KCB um, working closely with them and they work closely with venture connectors. And um, and then I even had to mention our rival, but yes, yeah, sister school, University of Kentucky and, <laughs> and what, and we all know of Ian McClure um, becoming the new upcoming autumn president too, as well. So um, not only through our state, but throughout the world too. So you know, that's great. And I would say off the top of my head, that's probably some of the closest um, relationships and partnerships that we have. And any philanthropic organizations that you have any partnerships with? Yeah. So we do have our University of Louisville Research Foundation, and we work closely with them in our office. So what I was thinking off the top of my head is that they were a big, a tremendous support during this pandemic with from my understanding, providing support stations for COVID testing and, and anything that might be kind of COVID related near the campus and, and uh, our health sciences campus is downtown, so stations near there as well. Um, but that's what I can really think off the top of my head and, and probably also the art museum as well. I'm pretty sure they, they do a lot of stuff there. That was one of the first places that I visit and, and supporting um, local artists. Awesome. So switching gears, Greg, I wanted to ask you, what would you say are your office's two biggest challenges? Yeah, that's another really good question. And um, off the top of my head, I was thinking definitely anybody could always use more help. And um, I think one of my colleagues said it the best, if when it comes to IP and, and with these deadlines and extensions, it's always like kind of treading water instead of swimming to the edge. There's always something going on. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. So, so um, besides looking for more leadership now, um, definitely some other positions that could be filled because from my understanding, um, there was some others before that kind of went away. So again, we're restructuring, rebranding, and and definitely I think that's going to be changing for the rest of this new year. And that's really for kind of the office, but I, the other challenge is kind of for me, me just being relatively new to the IP space in general and to this office and to this state that um, more professional development is, is very helpful. I think, and this is something I did not mention, but um, when I actually started this whole field, I found Autumn. I actually joined it in 2019 um, when I was um, working at Skysong. And I was actually supposed to go to the first conference in 2020, my first conference. And and I was at the office. I remember when they said it got canceled, it's like papers went in the air and it was like a bad scene of the office or something. And and then I ended up watching all these virtual seminars. And that's actually helped with my professional development. Um, went to the last year's virtual meeting and now looking forward to going to this one in person. And again, I still would like to be a patent agent. But then, you know, even here at the university, we have an innovative MBA program, which is um, rated, you know, from my understanding in the top 20 or 30, somewhere very high in the country, if not world. So um, definitely seeing how I can help contribute more to this field as well is is my challenge for myself and what I kind of mentioned uh, for the office. That's awesome. And Greg, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask you about diversity, equity, and inclusion as this is an important topic that's being discussed in tech transfer offices all around the world. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what the university is doing to help encourage and assist women and other traditionally underrepresented inventors and entrepreneurs? Yeah, very good question. And, and it's a very important topic to be addressed. And the University of Louisville is is actually helping to lead that charge on a collegiate level. And they have their own cardinal principles. And um, one of them is becoming a premier anti-racist um, Metro University campus within the Commonwealth here. So very important. Again, I just moved here, but we all seen not only during the pandemic, but a lot of social unrest. And, and unfortunately, besides other states, it was Kentucky was highlighted, too, with the death of Breonna Taylor. Um, so definitely the, the university is moving forward and um, helping with DEI and and not just the university itself with faculty and staff, but also um, some of our partnering programs that I kind of mentioned that we work closely with where some of our professors are working on social innovations as well. And um, I, again, I kind of mentioned a, a company that was recognized for social innovation in the workplace. We have two women inspired. One is already an inventor, one is an inspiring inventor, but they're both uh, have proposals to help with disparities within Black and Asian uh, communities with helping with healthcare advocacy and then also helping to allow uh, giving access, which was something that we saw that could be limited um, during this pandemic for underrepresented groups or, or BIPOC, uh, people of different cultural groups, um, different regions of the country where their research can help make that easier for them to, to find a healthcare provider, but then also someone that can help understand them more culturally. And when I say culturally, it's not always just ethnicity, which is important as well, but then also local proximity of where people are from as a patient, you know what you might be going through, but then also as your provider, having that cultural awareness and understanding for that can make for a much better patient to provider experience in those health disparities and and then another one that comes to mind, which is another woman-led founded company from UofL alum, who's also uh, an ex-athlete from the school, where, again, during this pandemic, another thing that light was shed on was mental health. And she's also focusing on, on mental health of not only athletes, but I believe other populations, underrepresented groups as well. But it just shows from you know, the upper administration level to the faculty level to um, local health providers who are working with the university getting grants. And in fact, she's actually Melanated Healthcare. She's actually going to be speaking at our autumn conference coming up as a guest speaker. And then all the way to just the alum themselves right here in the region where they're tackling people's health care, mental health through social innovations that are helping underrepresented groups and women, which is very, very important and crucial that we address these. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's really great. And and I think that's a great transition. I wanted to ask you um, about some work you're involved in with the National Organization for the Professional Advancement of Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers. Can you tell us a little bit more about this organization and, and what you're doing with it? Yeah, it's it's a program. I've been a member of since when it's, since I went to Tennessee State. Um, I went to a couple conferences in California when I was in Arizona. And um, more recently, I've done some um, not only presenting my own research, but just um, presenting and, and working with some of their admin. And it's Novache, the National Organization for Black Chemists and Chemical Engineers. And uh, we had an opportunity uh, it's actually been a national call where we want to spur more innovation in the country since other countries. In, in fact, from my understanding, China is actually disclosing more IP and um, we're we all understand the semiconductor chip shortage. And so we want more manufacturing and, and homeland security. And also that's just great for for the economy and jobs. So what's happened more recently, I um, myself, I do freelancing work moonlighting and um and something that i've been doing for years where i i like talking about my journey like i did today 
and how I can help others. So um, partnering with Beyond Benign based in Boston, and they're leading the charge with us working, um, myself, part of Novache, and also we're also working with Science for Society as well. And what we're doing is creating a virtual platform. So um, the silver lining during this pandemic is what drew us apart and kept us isolated, you know, in the house watching Tiger King <laughs> to where now everyone is Zoom was a household term. And, and now Teams is really taken off, too. And now we're we're making the world smaller, making a virtual room and um, talking about. And this is where I give back, where um, me being somewhere um, intermediate in my career, I'll partner with someone who's more seasoned in their career. And then also, um, this is a five or six part series. This is the third one coming up with another younger person um, whose early career, you could say. And, and this young person that I'll be speaking with um, for Black History Month is uh, a young man that uh, I've known him, wow, since he was four years old, I believe. Oh, wow. Him, his brother was a little bit older. He's 16 now. And um, back in Phoenix, um, I lived in East Lake Park. And which is a historically African-American neighborhood just east of downtown. And um, uh, in my community at the community center and with the church, bringing science and, and different demos um, to the community and where it actually evolved, where we end up partnering with a program at Arizona State University called the Chief Science Officer Program. Um, before that, um, it was called the Ironman Network that we did in the community. You know, a lot of the young kids, we thought that would be cool basing it on Iron Man being a superhero, but also biblically iron sharpens iron, um, which was really good. But now with the new program that we're doing, it, it, would, it enabled us to, to get more resources and also do more field trips. But then I think importantly, um, reach more of our students virtually and, and just having these students and when I say reach them virtually, so if I'm teaching him and now he's, this is when he was on um, 13 or 14, passing down some of my scientific skill sets to where uh, he's an inventor himself. He actually had a project. He goes to MIT, Maricopa Institute of Technology, where he ended up making a solar backpack. And we had some younger kids who were probably, you know, seven or eight. And, and I let him take the lead. So, you know, get everything set up. I'm working with my co um, advisor at the time. And we get everything set up and let him, um, you know, have an outline and, and see how he can do the demo as well. So now we've taken it. Um, that was right before the pandemic um, in person. And now we've taken it virtually and, and have from our local neighborhood to uh, now a virtual platform where I can now live in Kentucky and still work with him in Arizona and work with um, the other groups in Boston and um, um, Tennessee and and. and reach people throughout the world. That's really impressive. That's amazing. And and thank you for doing that. It, it sounds like a, an amazing organization and that you're, you're really making tremendous impact. So Greg, switching gears a little bit, I know you mentioned you're involved in Autumn, but are there any other organizations that you're involved in that you'd like to tell us about and what value you think they add? Yeah, definitely. And some of the organizations that were kind of mentioned in my bio, um, Autumn is one of them. LES uh, recently kind of joined that, which is important for licensing and marketing and closing the deal, importantly, to uh, get these ventures off the ground. Autumn, that's just a, a great educational platform and, and, and career development, which I really like. And kind of with that's my new life and with my past life that I still work closely with um, the American Chemical Society, ACS, ECS, the Electrochemical Society as well. I've done some great things with both of those organizations. And in fact, with ACS, I did a, uh, a virtual event for K-12 students um, with decomposing plastic. So oh, wow. we did that for Earth Day, yeah, which was really great. And the Electrochemical Society, I was actually, I, I've done a lot of outreach in the community from a program that kind of stems from them using fuel cell cars and, and where it spurred for me talking about electric cars, I actually got funding to buy these fuel cell kits and, and I would, you know, spread the gospel of, of um, fuel cell technology and, and racing the cars with kids. So it was really fun. 
So um, that organization is near and dear to my heart. I actually taught them about uh, electric bikes as well. So that was um, really good. And and um, in fact, I was actually to this day, I am, from my understanding, the founding president of the first Electric Chemical Society graduate chapter in the state of oh, Arizona. Neat. Cool. Yeah, Arizona State University. I thought U of A would have had one, but no, they they said my, ours was the first one. We were actually chapter of excellence. I think the next year after that, which was great. And I would say I'm also an IEEE member. Recently, um, I joined some some other organizations that can help with entrepreneurship as well and innovation. And off the top of my head, that's that's what I can pretty much think of. That's a pretty impressive list of organizations, Greg, that probably keeps you pretty busy, I would think, besides your regular day job. Oh, yeah, definitely. And now when I thought about it, I'm joining another one, and it's called the, I, the Kentucky IP Alliance. And this is being spearheaded by Monique Kirkendall, and um, she's the executive director for KCV. And... Um, works closely with Ian, Megan, and people here at, at U of L with our offices. And again, we're doing this as a united front effort. Because um, besides Autumn, during this pandemic, I would watch virtually the Georgia um, IP Alliance um, is huge as well. So now, apparently, they're making different chapters throughout the country. Yeah, I'm familiar with GIPA, and they're making like in North Carolina, and they're reaching out to several other states as well. Yeah, I think that's a yeah. great organization for you to join. Yeah, thanks. And they're already asking me to do some stuff. So I'll be putting that on my list besides our EDI committee that um, we work with in Ottawa as well. Excellent. Well, Greg, I generally like to close the podcast by asking my guests, if you could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for your office, what would that be? Sure. And when we talk about three wishes, this has been a lot of my Q&A where I've been going out into the different schools and departments, walking around campus, talking to researchers, innovators, inventors, entrepreneurs, where we need more capital. That's I think that's always number one and also access to that capital. And again, I'm a, if I sound like a, a broken record, <laughs> silver lining and this pandemic has been people being connected virtually. And I'm going to go back to that um, Louisville Business First event. It was their inaugural event because they're, they want to get people connected. And he mentioned that if we think uh, investment is coming from the Bay Area or Boston or some other places that you can pitch virtually now. So he got all his um, seed funding or and um, investments from online, which is really important to be in those virtual rooms. Um, number two, I would have to say it's the talent pipeline as well. This state generates great talent and uh, it's really on that cutting edge, like we were saying, and they're having these new centers and now they're going to be generating that pipeline. But what I heard besides, because again, I work with a lot of scientists, they need help with business development. I was actually working with a uh, professor today and uh, we had some marketing traction. And um, importantly, that's something that was her postdoc asked, um, like, hey, is there um, some way? You know, besides writing these SBIR and STCR grants, which are great for the, the the technical aspect of it, but the business aspect of it as well. So that's something, you know, incorporating like business plans. In fact, that's what the Lean Startup Program does at UofL. It helps them make a, a lean startup. And that's where I was, again, introduced to it when I went off campus um, out the ivory tower because I'm a lab rat myself and, and strolled into the library where they offered that program and learned about that. And then I guess lastly, with those two capital talent pipeline is equity, diversity and, and inclusion. It's, you know, I want to talk about it more and just it's yeah, it's it's definitely um, something that's that's been talked about more and more, something that we kind of talked about tonight. But it's something that that definitely needs to be um, injected more into our, our workspaces. And 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 it's not always just waiting for a policy change. It's not always just um, um, I'm waiting for someone else to do it. And, and that's why I mentioned um, there's so many things you can do yourself. 
And 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 yeah, and I think everybody does it to a certain degree. Um, but there's again, we, we say there's always more that we can do. And and then it's that old adage, you know, um, put yourself in somebody else's shoe and kind of kind of think about that. But, you know, definitely trying to make um, more access of of capital pipeline positions that can be applied for for underrepresented groups and women. Um, um, very important. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, Greg, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. This has been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. You can connect with me at t.gregtucker. If you could, please personalize your invite. Um, For whatever reason, besides following, if you click the three buttons on the side, it will say connect or personalized message. That's definitely number one. Um, If you want to connect with me via email, um, tucker at stemchemist.com is another great way. Great. Well, thank you so much again, Greg. This has been an absolute pleasure to have this opportunity to talk to you. Lisa, I couldn't agree more. Thank you for this opportunity and thank you for your platform. This definitely has to be the premier platform for IP related talks and glad I could be a part of this with you. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you again, Greg. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.